0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Uh, Dr. Andrzej Shosholmi, the uh, pr- professor of uh, uh, medieval and early modern history at the University of Pécs in Budapest, Hungary, the author of many, many articles uh, in Hungarian and in English on the, uh, early modern Russia, medieval Russia. We'll talk about that those definitions in a second. His book, uh, re- issued from Academic Studies Press, uh, part of their Russian Thought in Context series. Academic Studies Press is extraordinarily productive in uh, particularly earlier areas of Russian history that are somewhat neglected. His book is Russian Notions of Power and State in a European Perspective. 1462 to 1725, assessing the significance of Peter's reign, and what we were just discussing a little bit, you know, just to reiterate, was this extremely rich comparative aspect of absolutism that he brings into the book, and I, and as I noted uh, to, to him, you know, in, in the U.S. in particular, but I think, you know, in lo- uh, many parts of the world, the, the earlier period of Russian history is neglected. I remember going, by the way, Andre, to a meeting once of, of of an early Slavic association at one of the conferences, where people were discussing the dearth of jobs and courses. So I'm. It's very pleasing to see, to hear, and see that in your university, this the students are exposed to this to you know that comparative perspective which they often lose, and they often get a heavy focus on the Soviet experience. Because one of the things that I will find that I think is very rich and you include this in your epilogue but I'll get to that is that you know and you because you 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 make implications about the pr- present day or even the uh, present day situation in Russia up to 2020 or so is that without understanding the earlier perspective or understanding the earlier history one often gets one focuses too heavily on the soviet experience as influencing everything and this in, in your book you get this earlier experiences and how it might have shaped present-day Russian conditions. And what I would like to start with our first question, which, which would be uh, you know, and this is sort of reiterating what we just started to talk about. You know, what is the, you know, what are the aims of your book? What are some of the main arguments? And what I would like to refer to uh clearly is in in, in your introduction, you note know this. Uh in Russia, an important, although incomplete shift, this is on page five, of ruling power from notions of personalized power toward an abstract notion of power and state accelerated around 1700. That is when the modern cons- concept of state and sovereignty came to influence Russian thought on power. Before making some general remarks, I think it is important to state here clearly that the subject of this book is the notions of power and state in Russia and not the reality of the state as a force of institution. So essentially, when you introduce the book in that manner, what is the big what are those big questions that you hope to answer? In the book
1: um, okay so um, uh, first of all if i should uh, uh, summarize uh, uh, the differences and uh, and the whole uh, uh, concept the book i would uh, say first of all that, uh, as you mentioned, the highly personalized uh, perception of power, which was a characteristic uh, uh, not only of the the Muscovite uh, uh, period, and then I will speak about uh, the the peculiarity of uh, Muscovite ideology uh, a little bit in uh, details. Mm -hmm. So uh, the power is associated with the person wielding it. Uh, one very um, eloquent example of this that uh, in the Muscovite era, uh, uh, the, the biblical uh, the biblical sentence uh, of uh, in from the letter of Saint Paul to the Romans that there is no power but of God uh, was even erroneously quoted. Quoted that there is no ruler uh, uh, but uh, of God. And uh, I would say that this kind of highly personalized perception of uh, power Uh, did not come to an end, uh, even after the infiltration of uh, Western political uh, uh, concepts uh, that is the appearance of the modern concept of uh, state and uh, when, for example, uh, the idea of uh, common good was linked to which from Mm -hmm. the early 18th century, uh, uh, probably can be more or less translated uh, as a, a state. But this highly personalized perception of power is uh, is with us today uh, in Russia, and one reason of uh, it, I think, is linguistics. Uh, come is, is linguistical uh, because the word "gosudarstvo," uh, which nowadays means state, comes from the. Uh, word gasudar which mm-hmm. in the uh, 15, 16, and even 17th century centuries, one was uh, one of the most important titles uh, of the Russian rulers, roughly meaning "legally unlimited uh, ruler," and since gasudarstvo is derived from that verse, that's why this personal uh, connotation. Uh, uh, has been preserved despite of the fact that of course Gasudar from the 18th century onwards and the 19th century simply came to mean uh, ruler uh, in uh, general. The second Mm -hmm. important issue what I would like to emphasize and I go a little bit into details Uh, of of Muscovite political ideology to understand this uh, whole framework. So the second important uh, point uh, that is uh, the unimportance or I would say indifference attributed to a legal constitutional limitations concerning the rulers' uh, power because uh, uh, these uh, uh, limitation according to I think mainstream Russian perception uh, hinder effective uh, government uh, that is uh, they hinder uh, the effective functioning of a strong uh, state. And here comes the third point and the first the first and the second of course are closely uh, uh, connected. And the third point is uh, the importance uh, attributed to the state uh, itself. And this great importance of course uh, uh, came uh, from uh, the reign of uh, Peter uh, the Great. And of course uh, uh, the state, in the mind of the people, most of the time is associated with uh, the person, be it a Tsar, be it a party secretary, or be it a uh, president. So that's why there is an epilogue uh, on the so called gasudarstvennus, which is very difficult to translate into Russian. Generally, it is uh, translated as, as state, uh, uh, it has one meaning, statehood, but uh, of course, it has a, a, an Emotional component, an, an affectionate aspect towards the state, uh, which can be uh, uh, probably uh, can be probably uh, described as Richard Sakwa's translated it as uh, the, the sentiment uh, of statehood. So, and um, probably we can discuss that uh, at the end uh, of the uh, interview. But if so I can do. To- go- Okay. Oh, I was okay. Gonna, I was just gonna say. When what? Let me do a So you when
0: you when you discussed just now this issue of the государ and the, uh, the idea of the person. You start your book in fourteen sixty two with Ivan the, Ivan the Third. When so he when he becomes uh, he takes this title, I suppose, of tsar appara- apparently, and so forth. So you begin with him. So th- is that how you sort of define when you talk? You just mentioned Muscovite political culture. So Muscovite political culture is essentially. The idea of ruler by the by, of individual—that's really what the it's the main consti- it's it constitutes.
1: Yes, one point, but uh, but I uh, then I can uh, make some other uh, uh, classifications. Yes. Please so do. Uh, not not only just the uh, the highly personal perception of uh, power, uh, but uh, the so to say uh, God dependent interpretation of uh, that power. And uh, as uh, Daniel Rowland has formulated it uh, quite uh, succinctly, uh, when, when he wrote in one of his uh, writings that uh, if, remo- if we remove God and uh, 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 if we remove God uh, from this whole theoretical uh, uh, framework structure uh, and the relation of God with Tsar and the people, we are left without any coherent set of ideas uh, at all. Yeah. Uh, uh closely related to that is the simplicity of Muscovite ideology because uh, it was very uh, easy to justify Muscovite ideology by simply uh, referring and using biblical uh, biblical quotation, the, the linchpin of this whole ideology uh, ideology was, uh, the sentence coming from the book of Proverbs, uh, which in the Russian says that the tsar's heart is in God's uh, hand and this uh, uh has a continuity from the 16th to the 20th uh, uh, century and uh, it was really uh, so to say the trump card of the uh, a trump card of the ideology so this uh, this is another aspect uh, of the of muscovite uh, perception of uh, power so the simplicity and uh, the use of uh, almost exclusively this kind of uh, 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 biblical, uh, biblical uh, borrowings, uh, besides uh, the one I quoted that the Tsar's heart is in God's hand, of course, uh, uh, the, the, the sentence of Saint Paul that there is no power uh, but of God or fear God and honor the Tsar as far as uh, the, the obedience uh, is concerned. Uh, A further very important, uh, very important uh, characteristic of this Mokovite ideology that it was, uh, uh, so to say, image-based. So it operated with different images. Uh, That is, the good ruler was the image of God, uh, uh, like uh, with uh, Joseph of Volokolamsk, and the bad ruler uh, was the devil uh, in his view. And uh, uh, finally, uh, one or two aspects. Russian, Muscovite, uh, Russian ideology did not uh, use legal philosophical argumentation uh, regarding the perception of power. And it was uh, the characteristic which changed uh, uh, beginning from Peter uh, the Great. However, I would say the core, this uh, God given power and this highly personalized power, power, uh, I mean, this perception. Uh, really did not change, despite of the fact that uh, uh, Western concepts of uh, sovereignty, uh, sovereign, for example, natural law, uh, social contract. We can probably talk a little about uh, later about them. Uh, were integrated into the uh, integrated into the argument, and just one or two uh, one or two uh, more uh, characteristics to uh, to end uh, on this uh, question. Uh, so as, as Nancy Siltz-Coleman uh, uh, defined uh, uh, Muscovy uh, conceived herself as a religious community, as a godly community with the Tsar as it uh, had, who was appointed by God, and uh, the Tsar uh, was thought to have owned everything in the realm. So uh, and, uh, another historian who made a, a very good contribution uh, to that uh, aspect, Marshal Poe, who mentioned that there was nothing in Moscow which was considered common. So the concept of common group uh, this is a late 17th century phenomenon which acquired real importance beginning uh, 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 from the early 18th century century from 1702 during peter so uh, so there was uh, wasn't anything which is considered common there were no references uh, to things common uh, in, in, in in the realm and another crucial question closely connect, connected to that uh, what marshal Poe wrote that the ruler's duty was uh, not to fill an office but to be tsar And it is, uh, again, a crucial difference because the concept of office, uh, which in uh, medieval Western literature uh, was embodied in the concept of the crown as an entity, which can be detached Uh, Separated from the person of the ruler and from the power exercised by the ruler. uh, This uh, concept, uh, the concept of office, uh, was also missing uh, in uh, Muscovite ideology of uh, uh, power. And finally, uh, which also has uh, has long term uh, consequences. the um, basis of this highly personalized uh, or, or, or the commitment the belief in this highly personalized God-given Pa uh, nurtured the belief in the good Tsar also expressed in uh, uh, sayings which were recorded by uh, uh, 16th century uh, Western travelers to Russia, saying such as God knows and the Tsar, or the Tsar judgment is God's uh, judgment. And of course, uh, we all who deal with Russian uh, history know quite well that uh, the idea of the good ruler, that the ruler good only if his advisor are wicked, This has uh, uh, a long uh, uh, continuity uh, in in Russian uh, political thought. Also, I would say up to the uh, up to the twenty first century, up to uh, our uh, days. Do you know what I I think? I think I'm finished on that question.
0: You know, one thing though. I will comment though that I think it's interesting is that you know, some of the older historiography, which I, you know, you still see repeated because people don't really folk they they don't go pre-revolutionary so much, is this, that you still see repeated in the the idea of institutions that exist in this early period, right, in Muscovite political culture. Yeah. yeah. And what, what, I think what you, you, you indicate fairly strongly in the book is that institutional limitations w- w- did not exist. there is no notion of a common good before that. so I think so I think you do you know you you're part of that trend which has been existed for some time which is looking far more at that personalized nature of the czar, as opposed to these late 19th century you know uh, historians who started to try to imagine that there were institutional limitations in early in early Russia which am I am I correct that you don't you don't see them at all?
1: Yeah, you are. You are right. You are right. One uh, thing I I I forget to uh, say uh, concerning the uh, the first introductory part of uh, our uh, conversation. So uh, I myself belong to the so called hard school of. Uh, uh, interpretation of Russian history. Of course, uh, this uh, kind of uh, uh, labels that hard school and soft school uh, are used uh, uh, to identify those historians uh, who uh, I mean, the hard school uh, historian emphasizes the differences. The soft school historian uh, emphasizes rather the similarities uh, with uh, uh, Western uh, uh, Christendom. And you are right. I really, uh, I'm really convinced that these uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, these kind of um, uh, notions, like that uh, the boyar duma uh, yeah. institutionally uh, could limit the tsar. Or the Zemsky Sabor, that is the assembly of the land, uh, was similar uh, to, uh, for example, the Western assemblies uh, of estates, and that's why the Russian uh, Muscovite political structure uh, can be uh, compared to the polity uh, of estates uh, existing in the Western Christendom. I think is it completely false and uh, if we want to understand differences between uh, russian thinking and uh, russian political uh, and russian uh, political structure then we have to i think uh, emphasize to make, make a strong emphasis not on similarities but rather on the uh, rather on the uh, differences
0: no it's very, that's very interesting and uh, i i should also add that um when, when you when you discuss, uh, you mentioned earlier you in references to you know how they how they viewed their own realm, and you referred to Marshall Poe, and you referred to others. If, if if I can ask a question, that I'm trying to think of a proper definition for how you would do this, but how would the ruler have viewed the people, if that's if, if I can use the word people, not not sort of the elite, but in general, would how would they have viewed them as their in the realm? Would they have viewed them? With any distinction other than perhaps slaves, or would they would they would they view them in, in, in just property purely as property? He,
1: he, the Tsar, as, as also Marshall Poe claims, and I I completely share his view. The Tsar considered uh, himself a, a kind of uh, um, owner. Uh, owner of the kingdom, owner of everything, uh, own, owner of the uh, of, of, of the state, uh, let's put it this way, owner of the realm, uh, and uh, owner of everything and everybody uh, in it, like uh, uh, the saying which I quote in a big attributed to Ivan IV that uh, uh, everything belongs uh, to God and a uh, Tsar, uh, 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 for example. So Marshall Poe used, uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh the non nominal universal uh, proprietorship uh, for this for this kind of uh, uh for this kind of uh, uh uh, perception which implied of course that uh, everyone had to serve the ruler in one uh, capacity and depending uh, which uh, uh, the function uh, the certain uh, group or a person uh, performed uh, of course uh, the rank of the group or the person uh, depended uh, depended uh, on the nature of the service uh, done uh, nature of the service done uh, to the ruler
0: you know, one wonders, Andre, if this is a, these kinds of views ever really became fully diluted, or they still this. You know, one doesn't want to make too many analogies for long-term historical events, but nonetheless, this is uh, sort of profoundly interesting for the long-term aspects of Russian political developments, isn't it?
1: yeah 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 of course and uh, if we uh, move to for example to uh, images to uh, to uh, to emblems uh, uh, for example when uh, uh, the personal seal of peter the great uh, will be uh, hopefully shown then yes. uh, it, uh, there is a very uh, interesting uh, explanation concerning the relationship between uh, russia the state and the uh, ruler because uh, this uh, Uh, This image shows uh, uh, Peter hewing out uh, Russia uh, out of a a rough uh, stone. Uh, so peter is a mason and uh, uh, peter uh, can form uh, the state uh, peter, uh, uh, peter can carve out the state uh, in the manner as he likes so i think he is a, a very eloquent example of the relationship between uh, uh, the ruler uh, and the state so the ruler the person of the ruler or the person of the head of the state, uh, again, be it the Tsar Party secretary or or, or president is always much more important uh, than uh, the state itself. And of course it comes from that uh, uh, perception, uh, which I tried to uh, highlight uh, uh, before, uh, the highly personalized perception and uh, the idea that the ruler is the, so to say, uh, owner of the realm, uh, what uh, Western legal historians in the medieval and early modern period make a distinction between dominion and imperium. Yeah. Uh, that is uh, ownership, and of course, uh, uh, or sovereignty. Uh, uh, let's let's put it uh, very uh, simply.
0: And uh, one of the things that you you refer to, and we're getting to, uh, I think, the, the crucial part of your book on Peter the Great. But I wanted to ask you a little bit about Westernization, which you referred to uh, quite a bit, you know, in because so much of the so, older Soviet historiography, of course, did not want to deal with Westernization. They wanted to deal more with connections rather than influence. But your book is rich on influence as well. And what I wanted to ask you a little bit about the Petrine, the 17th century influence of Western political views, and here you refer to some of the uh, some Ukrainians as the influence of Ukrainian intellectuals in the 17th century. Could you mention that, discuss that a little bit?
1: Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, the first, um, so I wouldn't say it away but the first Uh, signs of uh, uh, westernization and westernization uh, now is uh, regarding the mid 17th century is uh, used in a very very broad uh, manner Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, for a short time it uh, did not have an impact on uh, uh, thought and power or or political ideas, uh, uh, so to say. So uh, this first uh, uh, steps of Westernization uh, was connected with uh, mainly with the Church reform of Patriarch uh, Nikon or Nikon, uh, to use the English uh, uh, pronunciation, mm-hmm. and uh, even before the reform, uh, which began in 1653, even uh, before that reform, for example, the most important uh, Ukrainian figure, Yapiyfanyi Slavinetsky, uh, who came to Moscow in 1640. Uh, nine and before he came from uh, 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 kiev and uh, uh, while uh, he was in kiev he uh, uh, compiled a latin slavonic that is Ukrainian, uh, the dictionary which he revised uh, in moscow in 50, 60, uh, 15 uh, sorry 1650 1650. And uh, of course, it uh, could have an influence on the uh, terminology, but the first real uh, uh, I would say, um, sign of westernization was an une- unexpected or unforeseen consequence uh, of the church reform connected with uh, Nikon. When uh, uh, Patriarch Nikon and Alexis came to into conflict with each other, uh, beginning from uh, 1658, mm-hmm. and that was the time. Uh, that was the time when, uh, for example, the theory of two powers. Uh, which in uh, Western Christendom uh, m- a debate between the uh, sacerdotium and the regnum that is a priesthood and kingship in in, in, in Naikun's formulation, uh, that is the, the priesthood and the tsardom. So the theory of two powers uh, and the discussion uh, of the relation between the secular power and the spiritual to uh, one another, uh, that was really one uh, important uh, step and it was the time when, uh, uh, or it was a time which affected uh, a kind of uh, secularization of the uh, meaning of the word for which at that time it cannot really be translated as a state, but rather uh, than uh, realm. And besides uh, him, what uh, a very important figure uh, who was not a Ukrainian, but uh, a white Russian, Simeon Palotsky, who came uh, to Moscow in the 1660s and became the tutor of Tsar Alexis' uh, uh, children. And uh, he was uh, probably the first man in Russia to make a distinction uh, uh, between the tyrant and, 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 and the lawful ruler on the basis of uh, Aristotle. Uh, when he wrote in uh, one of his verses that uh, if you want to understand what the difference is between the tyrant and the Tsar, you have to read Aristotle uh, because no. uh, the, 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 the lawful ruler, the tsar, uh, uh, serves the common good Why the tyrant uh, just take, uh, takes care of his own uh, interest. However, this uh, uh, these, uh, uh, western infiltration of some western ideas was very much connected to individuals uh, and uh, this uh, kind of westernization was not, so to say, institutionalized, which would I would say come uh, with Peter the Great and uh, in a much more in a much more massive scale, uh, of course. When you know, uh,
0: and I, I'm pulling my history here to try to get details on it, but what influence do you think that the slavo greco latin Academy had? On thinking at that time, did it have any influence beyond the academy walls itself?
1: It's very difficult. I didn't. Uh, I didn't deal with the question, uh, to be honest, and very difficult. Uh, very difficult to. Um, to trace uh, the impact or the uh, influence, so um, I would rather I would rather leave it to uh, these two uh, specialists uh, to answer that. Question. And, and, I, and
0: I, that's a good that's a good answer because I don't th- I'm not sure there is an easy answer on that, on that one because I've I've seen some of the studies I was just interested in because I think it's been inflated some of it like many of these things that you note they, like we talked about with the uh, institutions of Muscovite power some of the influences may have been exaggerated by later historians as well. And that's why it's interesting for corrective. Connected with Westernization, obviously a crucial part of your book, it's its the title, it's the thrust of your book, is Peter the Great's reign, the reign of Peter the Great, as reassessing his, his influence. And what I'd like to know about Peter the Great is it's, you know, and this is a controversial thing in, in among Muscovite and 18th century historians is, uh, and correct me if I'm reading your your the thrust of your arguments, but you do see Peter the Great's reign, roughly 1700 to 1725, as representing a decisive shift, a revolution, if you will, in Russian political and cultural life. Please discuss this idea of sort of Petrine revolutions in terms of their state or political, political, political ideology and their develop, long-term influence. So it's really, you know, tell me what you're trying to say about Peter the Great. Peter the Great's influence.
1: Okay. so I think it is important uh, uh, to emphasize with regard uh, to Peter, especially uh, the second half of his reign that is beginning roughly uh, 1700, uh, not just to emphasize the infiltration of Western ideas, uh, but uh, parallel to say some uh, thing, to say some words on the reforms of uh, the institutions of uh, government because I think uh, these two uh, phenomena are closely uh, connected. Just let me mention uh, uh, some important and, of course, well-known uh, well-known effects. So uh, the, uh, with regard to the reforms of the, the institutions of government, so the creation of the Senate uh, in 1711, uh, then uh, later uh, the creation of uh, uh, colleges, uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, the the for example the establishment of permanent embassies uh, uh, abroad uh, all these I think uh, uh, point. Uh, to the fact that the so to say statist or uh, state like characteristic of the realm of Moscow's piyagasudars, Moscowite realm, became more uh, became more uh, marked, and uh, uh, also in, very important was the abolition of the patriarchy in 1721, uh, 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 which uh, had. Uh, a consequence not only with regard uh, uh, to the balance between uh, the church and uh, the tsar, we can see that uh, from an unequal balance which existed before Peter, uh, so there was a decisive shift to almost total control of the state. Uh, over the church uh, uh, as a result of the abolition of the Patriarchate and the introduction of the Holy uh, Synod, but uh, uh, as uh, Boris Uspensky uh, showed quite clearly that uh, even this uh, had a consequence because when uh, in the same year, in 1721, Peter took the title, the Father of the Fatherland, Uh, it uh, was interpreted uh, in the Russian context differently because previously was first of all uh, the title used by the patriarch and since after 1721 there was no patriarch and it, Peter it, yeah. took this title that's why the patriarch's charisma uh, was even transferred and uh, uh, contributed to the sacralization uh, of the uh, ruler so uh, it was a kind of uh, ambivalent uh, ambivalent effect uh, as a result of uh, this but moving to the new conceptual conceptual language uh mm-hmm. of course i do not say uh that uh, there was nothing before peter and i try to argue in a book that there were certain important steps with regard mm-hmm. uh, to the acquisition of this new conceptual language for example the smoother by uh, no means uh, the smoother uh, uh, no that, sorry, no that contributed Uh, to uh, a kind of detachment uh, of the person of the ruler from Gasudarsu because uh, for a while there was uh, an interregnum. And also, uh, from the 1660s to the 1690s, there was a kind of, uh, uh, there was a kind of uh, uh, decades of fermentation as uh, uh, Dan Rowland uh, called it when, for example, such uh, phrases that affairs of the, uh, of the state or, or the use of the word subject uh, became uh, more uh, frequent. But from 1700 uh, onwards, uh, Mm -hmm. I think uh, uh, the scale uh, was very different. And uh, not only uh, we should not uh, previously, most of the authors concentrated on uh, mainly on political vocabulary with the increased use of -hmm. then uh, of course, uh, almost uh, obligatory uh, the phrase of Petrine decrease was uh, uh, the common, the common good or common uh, utility. But very important uh, was the visual language, uh, the visual language, uh, because uh, from uh, that time on, uh, pagan antique, uh, uh, pagan antique uh, uh, imagery, uh, uh, mythology, antique mythology helped in the, so to say, uh, in the apotheosis of the ruler because Peter was compared to Mars and Hercules. Uh, However, previously, uh, ancient mythology was banned by the uh, Orthodox Church. So it was one uh, very important uh, novelty and uh, to connect uh, the change in the language of political vocabulary and uh, to some extent that the detachment of the person of the ruler from gosudarstvo uh, 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 these uh, so to say uh, images and, and pagan images in a way they were understood in uh, western Christendom a uh, help to conceptualize uh, rulership Uh, uh, detached from the person of the ruler and uh, now I would like uh, you to show uh, the image of, uh, uh, it is on page uh, 42 and it is the frontispiece frontispiece of the symbol book of Peter uh, the Great and uh,
0: Let me go back here a little bit, page 42. And I'm I'm hoping all of our readers, our listeners will be able to see this. uh, But we're going to give a a wonderful description in any case. Let me just get to that in a second. Are you able to see this, André? Yes,
1: yes, yeah. I can see. Let me get to that in a second. Yeah, Yeah, okay. It's moving. Fine.
0: Okay. Yeah. It somehow went, let's see, page 42 and of
1: okay just a little bit yeah and the, okay great oh yep
0: and give it give her a physical description as well of, of, of this of, okay yes
1: of- so this is the this is the um, the cast of Peter's seal uh, which I mentioned before so it was Peter's personal uh, seal and this is uh Uh, And This describes uh, what I've uh, tried to uh, explain, that uh, Peter as a mason hewing out Russia of a rough stone and uh, in a form of a female uh, figure. Uh, The woman uh, is half-formed, the woman is crowned, uh, holding a a scepter in one hand and and an orb uh, in the other. Uh, above, uh, and and of course, uh, this is the figure of Russia, and by the way, the female personification of the community or of the state, which was uh, at that time very characteristic, uh, of uh, uh, Western European uh, visual political thought came to Russia just with Peter uh, the Great and this is one of the very first images where uh, Russia uh, is uh, uh, allegorically personified as a as a female figure. Uh, above the head, there is of course a radiating triangle. Uh, it can't, can't be seen quite well but uh, in the triangle the name of uh, uh, God uh, is written in Hebrew. And, uh, uh, and on the rim we can uh, we can read the adjuvante in Latin, which means that with the help and of course putting together with the help uh, and of course the radiating triangle uh, symbolizing God. Uh, the whole the message of this uh, the message of this person is that uh, Peter, with God's help, with God's providence, uh, so to say, uh, uh, hewing Russia out uh, of this stone, uh, or uh, in other ways, uh, uh, making Russia in accordance uh, with uh, his intention, how Russia uh, should uh, look like. You so, know what? So and it's by a- the- it's
0: a- Oh, I was going to interrupt and say one. It's interesting that so many of
1: these 18th century
0: people who used to study Freemasonry in Russia often looked at you know because the symbol was polishing the rough stone, right? Russia. As, yes, as yes, 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 yes,
1: yeah. yes. That is, a, yeah. And Robert Collis has written a very good yeah. book and article uh, on that. Yes, uh, there are Masonic, there are Masonic symbols uh, in it, and you are you are right. You are right. And one one interesting thing with regard to uh, pagan mythology, uh, and it will be connected and it will connect us uh, uh, to the next uh, uh, image that uh, this is the adaptation of the ancient story of uh, Pygmalion and Galatea. And uh, uh, this uh, image, this Pygmalion and Galatea uh, is included in the book, the frontispiece of which we can see uh, here. Okay, fine. Fine, 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 okay, Uh, thank you very much. And uh, uh, what uh, is the most interesting uh, from this uh, point of view is uh, below the, uh, the figure of uh, uh, Peter, below the portrait of Peter the Great, uh, uh, showing in a medallion of uh, Hercules uh, holding the globe. And it's very important because uh, holding the globe uh, by Hercules, uh, it was taken over from uh, Western political symbolism, and it was uh, the symbol of rulership as uh, such and there are uh, inscriptions above uh, each of these medallions in latin and uh, russian and in this case um, the uh, in this case the inscription goes that uh, the burden is uh, the burden is not equal to the strength that is uh that is uh, the strengths that is the capacity uh, to rule russia uh that is uh the qualities of peter are much uh, higher are much uh, uh, greater than the burden of ruling that he can bear uh, so to say uh, this task and to perform uh, his duty and uh, uh as i mentioned hercules uh uh, and Mars, but especially Hercules one, uh, was one of the most important uh, mythological figures uh, associated with uh, Peter the Great, which was uh, anyway uh, a commonplace uh, at that time in western uh, in western political uh, iconography.
0: And how widely distributed were these images? Sorry. Well these images were distributed. Two. Okay
1: this is this is a frontis this is a frontispiece uh, yes. uh, to the book uh, and uh The book was printed uh, in Amsterdam and Mm -hmm. later, Russian edition. uh, It it was printed in 1745, and later, during Peter's reign, Russian, uh, uh, I mean, an edition in Russia uh, was also there. So, there was a second uh, edition of this book, and uh, uh, it was uh, sent out to uh, those people who were responsible in spreading the new, uh, so to say, iconography because it contained, uh, it is a, a quite a long book and it contained uh, images which uh, could be used for uh, for different purposes and this, uh, uh, this uh, edition, the 17th edition was also sent uh, to abroad and uh, of course, uh, the aim of Peter uh, was to show himself uh, as part of uh, European crown heads, uh, as part of a European club, uh, uh, so to say.
0: Anju, this is a sort of a large question. It's a little peripheral, so you can you can uh, pass it. But the the influences on Peter the Great for this shift in political culture, how would you pinpoint the like? What were the decisive influences? Who what influenced Peter to make these shifts? And the people are in his court.
1: Uh, I mean, uh, who were responsible for this kind yes. of shift? I mean, yeah, yeah, The most uh, okay. So, uh, of course, we have to uh, mention, first of all, the name of uh, Felfan uh, Prokopovich, who uh, was uh, one of the most uh, uh, talented and most educated uh, men in in, uh, Peter's uh, retinue. Uh, his life is uh, uh, very interesting, but I, I will just mention uh, some uh, uh, important posts he filled. So uh, he was summoned by Peter uh, to the new capital, St. Peter's, so in 1716. Uh, uh, he was a monk later. He was ordained uh, Bishop of Scoven uh, Narva. And uh, when uh, the Holy Synod was established, uh, he became the vice president of the synod, and by the way, he was the person who uh, wrote the spiritual regulation, the document mm-hmm. uh, which, uh, for uh, centuries, uh, determined uh, the functioning of, uh, of the church. And of course, he was uh, behind very—he was very much behind uh, the abolition of the uh, uh, patriarchate uh, itself. Uh, his um, contribution to the new ideology was immense i would say and the most important uh, document of this was uh, entitled the justice of the monarch's will in designating the heir of his state mm-hmm. uh, which was written in 1722 uh, uh, to justify peter's uh, uh, statute on uh, statute on uh, uh, succession And uh, uh, the great Russian historian Puchevsky uh, called this work the small encyclopedia of Russian uh, state law. Uh, It may not be an exaggeration because it contained, uh, uh, for example, uh, 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 concepts which were almost completely or completely unknown in Russia. Among them, for example, uh, we can uh, here read in this work the definition of sovereignty relying on uh, Hugo Grotius and even quoting Mm -hmm. uh, Hugo Grotius, for example, uh, the different forms of government, which were not really discussed in Russia, that is, monarchy, aristocracy, democracy. Uh, uh, what are the advantages of disadvantages of different forms of government? And also, uh, the, uh, introduce the idea of, uh, uh, in quotation, uh, "the social contract." Uh, that is, a con- there is a contract between the people and uh, the uh, ruler. But uh, very important that uh, in every uh, in every concept there is a twist, uh, uh, so to say. So, uh, for example, the contract or, uh, of government or social contract uh, uh, for him uh, was that uh, although uh, uh, the first ruler uh, was elected by the people, uh, nevertheless, the whole, uh, the whole scene uh, took place under uh, the providence of God. So since it was overseen by God, uh, God was for him the real uh, uh, source of uh, power and consequently, uh, consequently, the people uh, could not, uh, of course, uh, repeal uh, uh, this contract under any circumstances. So what is important to emphasize that he included He he, uh, adapted, uh, not so much adopted, but adapted uh, Western uh, uh, concepts, for example, uh, sovereignty, or social contract, but used them in a way which would strengthen the ruler's position Uh, and he uh, didn't say anything uh, uh, concerning the subject's rights or the limits uh, on uh, the ruler's part. So there was no mention of the rights uh, of the uh, subjects and very important that uh, uh, he emphasized unconditional obedience. Uh, While previously, uh, for example, in the 16th century, so I I mentioned the name of uh, Joseph of Volokolamsk, who uh, mentioned that uh, if if there is a ruler uh, who uh, commits unbelief or blasphemy, that you should not obey such a ruler, but what does the sentence uh, should not obey mean? Of course, it it was left uh, if she did not uh, really... Uh, did not really explain uh, what the what the uh, uh, believers could do or or, or not do. However, uh, uh, the emphasis on obedience uh, in uh, the work of uh, uh, Prokopovich was uh, really coming close to a, a total uh, a total power, and uh, in this way, in this way of uh, again, the new ideology uh, has this ambivalence, for example, Western notions were used like for example, natural or sovereignty social contract, but they were used in a way which uh, were designed to uh, strengthen the ruler uh, authority and uh, emphasize unconditional obedience uh, to the ruler. The third uh, important point, uh, he was uh, the person and uh, uh, it is it was one of the subjects of the book of uh, 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 Professor Richard Wortmann, which I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, that uh, uh, the, so to say, uh, integrity of the state uh, uh, appears in this work and uh, uh, he used it uh, in a way uh, that uh, uh, autocratic power and territorial unity uh, are uh, mutually dependent uh, elements and uh, if either of them is uh, affected in any way, it would lead Uh, to a uh, a disaster, it would lead to a catastrophe and that's why uh, he is considered, so to say, the father of the Russian state uh, narrative by emphasizing the close connection between territorial integrity of the empire on the one hand and the autocracy as the only feasible form of government uh, for Russia which was taken up in the 18th century by historians like Tatishev and later in the 19th century by uh, Karamzin.
0: So you, unity is 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 something that shifts dramatically, and the idea, the term, the term that you use throughout of, of unity, which becomes more important, it this is the this is also a dramatic change with Peter the Great, obviously, right?
1: Yes, 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 sure. And You're and, right.
0: and one other term that you that I'd like to sort of unpack just a little bit because we've referred to it a few times, the common good. Yes. How does this shift during the Petrine period and afterward?
1: Okay, so the the, the common good, of course, uh, which was uh, employed by uh, Peter and as I mentioned, uh, besides Gasudars was uh, always uh, a kind of uh, mandatory reference uh, in the preamble of the uh, uh, decrees. Most of the time in Peter's reign, I would say, as I write in the book was rather a lip service, uh, so to say, to uh, look Uh, to look more European, Uh, however, however, in the long run, it contributed uh, to the fact that by the mid uh, 18th century or definitely uh, during the reign of Catherine uh, the Great, uh, the Western uh, concept of the state uh, in a sense that the state uh, uh, is a set of uh, rules. Uh, which is not only independent of the uh, ruler but stands above uh, the ruler and it was uh, possible for example to uh, uh, to use uh, the concept the modern concept of state uh, in a way uh, to oppose uh, the interest of the state uh, to the interest of the uh, ruler. So, in the long run, it contributed uh, to the emergence of the modern uh, concept of uh, the state uh, in Russia. Um, uh, however, uh, that there was a small circle, uh, I would say, who understood the state uh, in that way, not only the 18th, but only the 19th uh, century. Some There are some remarkable examples, like uh, in the 19th century Speransky, uh, uh, for instance, uh, but uh, because of uh, the linguistic uh link or connection between gasudar and gasudarstvo uh, it uh, really hindered it really hindered the uh, so to say full reception that's that's the uh, the expression i was looking for the full reception of uh, the western concept uh, of the state
0: yeah then and that makes that makes perfect sense you know before i get uh, to my last question, I w- I wanted to you you want, we we discussed a little earlier this notion of emblems and projection of power. Is there anything that you wanted to include before we get to my last question?
1: No, 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 that's uh, I think uh, yeah, I think we covered more or less. yeah.
0: Okay, my last question deals with uh, and it's your it's your epilogue, but it covers much of you, you know, it sort of nicely summarizes your book. And this is, you know, and you you don't have to dwell so much on contemporary politics because your book isn't really, it's it's about, it's it's wonderful in terms of analogy. You mentioned in your epilogue, the preamble to the Constitution, 1993 Constitution, of course, is particularly illuminating as it refers to the historical tradition of Russian statehood. Furthermore, it contains those terms which became the key issues of Russian political rhetoric under Peter the Great. You know the Trinity of Gazodarsva, or Otsiya, or Tetsyev, which came to be standard references in Petrine sources. But, and I think you you know you you say that these words acquired. It's not just these words, but a semi-sacral or a, a sacral meaning in Russian political life over the long term. Can you discuss a little bit that that aspect?
1: yes it is of course uh, it concerns uh, the term which i mentioned the uh, uh, which can be translated as statehood or also uh, the statism or stateness ness or uh, kind of uh, sentiment of statehood so it has mm-hmm. uh, it has at least two uh, at least two uh, meanings and uh, uh, the celos gasudar so that is integrity of the state uh, is one of the crucial cores uh, of uh, uh, this uh, phenomenon that we call gasudarvenus uh, because um, I traced it in uh, the 1993 uh, uh, constitution of the Russian uh, federation which was amended many times uh, uh, since then. And uh, it is very interesting uh, to uh, analyze and trace each and every uh, uh, instance where there is a reference to celos uh, gosudarstwa." Uh, 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 and uh, what is of crucial importance that, uh, for example, uh, there is even a, uh, there is even a, a, an article which makes the duty of the uh, duty of the president uh, to protect. Uh, not only the Constitution of the R- Russian Federation, but I quote that it, its independence and state integrity—that uh, uh, is, that is mm-hmm. the—that uh, is the term uh, which is uh, used—and uh, this uh, uh, integrity of the state, uh, figures in many uh, uh, speeches uh, of uh, Putin after he became uh, after he became president uh, for the first time and it uh, uh, comes or it is included in his famous uh, 1999, uh, so to say, millennium uh, manifesto. And uh, (coughs) this manifesto is uh, very interesting because uh, besides using this term, uh, the 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 uh, the celos, the celos, uh, mm-hmm. it gives four uh, characteristics of uh, what he called the Russian idea, and. Uh, Uh, I just mentioned two. uh, he mentions patriotism, social solidarity, but the two uh, most important things for us, one is which can be translated as a greatness of Russia, which refers to the uh, uh, great or West territory of uh, uh, the Russian uh, Federation and of course of Russia being a great power and uh, the most important and i can i think <laughs> conclude on that uh, he uses uh, the word which is almost untranslatable untran- into uh, english and uh, probably as as i mentioned richard Sakwa's sentiment of state sentiment of statehood uh, would give back the meaning but uh, let me just um, Uh, quote uh, a a few lines uh, what uh, Putin understood uh, under statism and uh, it will elucidate I think uh, Uh the whole concept uh, of the book and uh, uh, so it reads as follows. So statism it will not happen soon if it ever happens at all that Russia will become the second edition of say the US or Britain in which liberal values have deep historic tradition. Our state its institutions and structures have always played an exceptionally important role in the life of the country and its people. For a Russian, a strong state is not an anomaly. It is not something which should be fought with, quite the contrary, it is the source and guarantor of order, the initiator and main driving force of uh, any uh, chain." and modern Russian society doesn't identify a strong and effective state with a totalitarian one. So that's the end of uh, quote. What is important for us, uh, the strong state, the emphasis on the role of the state as uh, we could read here as the guarantor of order, initiator uh, of change, uh, which is uh, nothing else. I would think the replacement uh, of the term state uh, with that of the good tsar. So the good Tsar, who is the guarantor of order and the initiator uh, of uh, uh, all uh, changes uh, in the state,
0: and you can see that you know not to pull, push the analogy too far, but you can see if any challenges to this unity in and uh, the power of the of the ruler is can be seen as it is in, today, in many ways senses as leading to chaos and to to treason, right? So in that sense, what and yes, you know what I. Yes. And you you conclude your book, which I think is wonderful, because you, you you've just touched on it. You conclude with this idea that you hope to somehow capture the mentality of the political culture, because yes, it's really yes. it's that's that's a difficult thing to do, but it's absolutely crucial, right? Because otherwise, it becomes just description rather than analysis. And do you th- so at the end? Do you think that you've captured the, the mentality of, of Russian political culture well?
1: E- I hope so, but it uh, remains to the reader to decide, of course. <laughs> After- I, 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 I'm persuaded.
0: I think it's very persuasive in the long jury. I think it's not, uh, as again, you, people can make two, you know, analogies too far. But I think this does give a wonderful description of what Muscovite political culture was, how it shifts toward the Petrine period key terms that have become sacral over time. And I think what's missing in many of the counts, which wasn't missing in yours, is also the comparative aspect, which is often ignored. It was a pleasure to speak with you today.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Mariach. Again, thank you for the questions and the invitation.
0: (laughs) Let me just say that, uh, once again, the book is Russian Notions of Power and State in a European Perspective, uh, Professor Andrei Sashalmi from University of Petsch. And it's a one, it just was issued last year, and I strongly recommend it to our listeners to move from listeners to viewers. And thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks, Stephen. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.